Welcome to the Bad Boss Brief, a strategic guide on how to not be an asshole at work. We'll tell you about bad bosses, how they can be handled, how to tell if you happen to be one. An executive and an executive coach, both artists working in advertising and marketing for more than two decades, are here to advise you on the ins and outs of office environments. The Bad Boss Brief is your ultimate guide to navigating any employment landscape. Without any further ado, here are your hosts, Eugene S. Robinson and Stephanie Payrollo. Okay. There we go. There we go. Uh, I'm Stephanie Payrollo. I'm Eugene S. Robinson. And welcome to the Bad Boss Brief. Today, we are going to talk about the gas lighting boss, which means we're going to be talking about <laughs> Greg Becker, the CEO, or I guess, former CEO of the former Silicon Valley Bank. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 The guy who's responsible for all these nice jets over at Moffett Field and very upset people. <laughs> I mean, it's not even kidding. When somebody like Charles Schwab loses billions of dollars in a day, uh, you're lucky to still be alive, I imagine. So are you seeing planes come into Moffett Field? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I drove, uh, drove by today on my way to my accountant <laughs> and saw them on the tarmac. That's not an airport that people really use. It's a former military base. So I'm imagining I'm imagining that this is going to be a big deal, as well as, uh, was it First Financial as well? It's like, yeah, we're kind of unstable. And then, of course, the big news is Credit Suisse and, and, and UBS today. So it's like... What did you think? Did you think it was like like Andy Griffith? Yeah. <laughs> There's a little old lady, Aunt B, behind the desk with your money? No. No. Well, and what's interesting is, you know, the, the origin of the word gaslight comes mm-hmm. from a movie called Gaslight by Albert Great Hitchcock. Movie. Great and movie. in the movie, a man marries a woman and Milan. Yes, tries to get her money by mm-hmm. convincing her that things are happening that aren't actually happening. So he is trying to spin her perception of reality to his advantage for, not surprisingly, financial gain. So that's why we wanted to talk about the gaslighting boss. And we're going to do two things. We're going to, we're going to talk about Greg Becker at SVP, uh, SVB and what that can teach us as leaders or people who pay attention to leadership. And then we are going to have a section at the end where we're going to talk about what to do if you work for a gaslighting boss. Because there are plenty of people who feel like they're being gaslighted by their bosses. I hear from them and mm-hmm. aren't quite sure what to do. So we're going to do both of those things. But let's go ahead and, and start with our friend. Greg Becker, the CEO at SVP. Yeah. So there were there were a couple things, um, and and the quotes and facts that I'm going to be talking about come from the New York Times. Uh, mm-hmm. There was a really good article by Maureen Farrell called "Inside the Collapse of Silicon Valley Bank," and an interesting fact about him is that aside from one year after he graduated from college, he spent his entire career at SVP. Mm-hmm. The entire career. This means he had no exposure to other ways of leading, other Mm -hmm. corporate cultures, and he became completely enmeshed with the understanding. He he became Silicon Valley Bank. And I think Mm -hmm. that's warning sign number one is, you know, people who are in leadership positions who have only ever been at one place Mm -hmm. really risk a lack of perspective and a lack of knowledge. You know, they talk Mm -hmm. about it as a badge of loyalty. I actually Mm -hmm. think it's a liability. What do you think? 
I, you know, the weird thing is Silicon Valley has gone through like different peregrinations connected to how long you should be at a job. Like when I first started in the Valley, if you were at a company more than two or three years and there didn't seem to be obvious growth in your you know, your resident, like you went from, I started as an associate editor and now I'm senior editor. If that wasn't, then people were kind of like, it was such a go-go time. There'd be like, there's something wrong with you. Okay. So flash forward about 15, 20 years to where companies are now established. Now what they're looking for is loyalty. Now, if they, they look at your resume and you've been at every company for three years, they're like, this person has a problem committing, they don't understand other team play, you know, all these kind of kind of shibboleths that, that are connected to it. So then you start to say, oh, OK, I'm going to stay at a company for 10 years. And so it's back and forth. It's like it's like the weirdest kind of dating dance, trying to figure out where the sweet spot is for how long you should be at a company and, and what kind of experience that affords you. Um, but, yeah, in my mind, it's always, always, always a red flag if somebody has never been anywhere else. I mean. Well, and especially, I mean, I think the other red flag is I don't know what happened to him. I can't know what went on in his brain. I don't know if he believed his own press or if he actually was lying or if it was some sort of amalgam of the two. But I think one of the warning signs is that he became synonymous with Silicon Valley Bank. In fact, one one of the people that was quoted in one of those articles talked about it as the Church of Greg. Mm-hmm. And so he became completely representative. And I think he might his it might just be hubris. Like he mm-hmm. might actually believe this because one of the things that he talked a lot about innovation and mm-hmm. you know, knowing marketing, knowing public relations, my guess is that at some point they had a, a work session and decided, hey, let's have Greg's message be all about innovation and mm-hmm. let's portray him as the person leading the charge and standing out in front. And at some point, he he really believed that. Okay, so right, so we could easily kind of pile this on Greg's uh, narrow shoulders, but the rea- reality of it is, he had enablers aplenty, people who uh, pushed through Kristen Cinema in Arizona, who pushed through this deregulation and received a lot of money for pushing it through uh, this deregulation that has gotten them into the trouble that they are now. I mean, this is. Yeah, he he, and it's it's now Monday morning quarterbacking to look at him and go, well, you know, he really screwed up. But he had lots of people who helped him. <laughs> yeah, no, here's a slippery slide to hell. Oh, cool. And here's a bunch of TNT. Oh, cool. I'll be able to handle this. And he clearly wasn't. And uh, and once again, we're stuck in a place where people should we regulate banks or should we not regulate banks? And the government has said, well, we're not going to bail you guys out again. Um, so they're selling assets now, which I think maybe had something to do with all those, those jets at Moffitt. So, um, so Greg, so Greg is, I mean, he, he, he should have understood that he was now part of a, of, um, unhealthy system. Um, because like, if there's enough blame to be spread, it doesn't mean that things were, he's, he's less responsible, but the whole system, it wasn't really working. And that, like you say, it was the first warning sign should have been to everybody involved. Yeah. And I think, and I agree that it's certainly not all on his shoulders, but I do think that it is a warning sign when there is a leader, charismatic leaders, like we've talked talked about before, who <laughs> represents an, an organization, right? <clears throat> you, then that person becomes too big to fail. Right. And, and, and we've seen this. And I think in a way, there are traditional leadership coaches, marketing people, PR people who are like, the CEO should be the forward facing 
you know, mm-hmm. entity to the world. And there, at least what I've seen is people are really fostering that kind of the leader who's out in front, the one who talks about, in this case, innovation. And I think the challenge is, is that then, you know, that puts so much onto the leader's shoulders. So when he makes mm-hmm. a simple mistake, like, you know, saying something untoward, it can have, it can have huge repercussions for him. Yeah. And I think right. that's, and I think that's part of the challenge. And I think the other thing that is systemic is, he didn't, he focused so much on the vision, they forgot to do just the basics of banking. And I think that's something, I think that's something to pay attention to too. So, you know, they at banks, because they need to focus on risk management, they have something called a chief risk officer. So Silicon Valley Bank's chief risk officer. <laughs> I need, retired. I need this for my for my personal life. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes, I think you could. Yeah. So she retired in April of 2022. April. They did not hire a replacement chief risk officer until the end of December 2022. So eight months. They did not have a person who was leading what one would think is the critical function of a bank. And I think what happened is that somehow it's like Silicon Valley Bank became about innovation and they forgot that they were a bank. They forgot that they had to have like competent risk management. And I think that's one of the challenges that can happen when you have that sort of special, charismatic, innovative leader boss is that people forget what they're actually doing. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I had one of my ter- my lifetime terrible bosses said, in the midst of a presentation that he had done when he was at Goldman Sachs, the guy just the guy he was presenting to just started waving his hands and said, listen, and because, of course, this is the way they talk to each other at Goldman Sachs, either you fucking think I'm stupid or you're stupid. <laughs> Your rosy projections mean nothing. And in essence, this guy had dressed him down for not including, you know, uh, a, a risk portion of his anal- of his SWOT analysis. You know, where are your threats? Where are your weaknesses? There's nothing like that in here. Why are you wasting my time? And in that crucial eight months, clearly somebody who had paid attention to those portions of the SWOT analysis, you know, weaknesses and threats would have been uh, <laughs> well suited to to get Greg's ear for five or ten minutes, maybe. You know, well, it's like it's like that um, the Emperor's New Clothes, right? Right. I mean, the whole reason that the Emperor and all of his henchmen continue with the idea that these are actual clothes is that they don't want to look stupid. Yeah, right. Because that's what the swindlers say. If you can't see this cloth, then you're dumb and nobody yeah. wants to appear to be dumb. And I think that's a lot of what's going on here. But then, like you said, there is the larger systemic issue. So Becker in 2015 told the Senate Banking Committee that if mm-hmm. financial regulations weren't lifted, right, if they mm-hmm. had to stay, if they had to stay regulated like they were previously, banks his size would quote, likely will need to divert significant resources from from providing financing to job creative companies in the innovation economy to complying with enhanced prudential standards and other requirements. In other words, this will be inconvenient because it will make me be a bank. (laughs) That's going to come back. That's going to come back out of like it's already come back out of. That's great. That's great. Period. Close quote. Thank you, Greg. Right. Wow. You know, and and I think that's another, you know, it's a warning sign. And we see this so many times, right? That these leaders want regulation. They want to be free. Look at what we're doing. We're creating jobs. Why should we have to pay taxes, submit to regulation, you know, what have you? 
But then when things go bad, then they want to be regulated. Like the first yeah, thing was, yeah. well, it, we're FDIC insured. So everybody's yeah. insured up to a quarter of a million dollars, except that they weren't. And you're right. It is part of a larger systemic situation. And I mean, this happened under the Trump administration. And yep. yet how, you know, and, and these libertarian pundits are now mm -hmm. saying, well, there actually should be some regulation because banks are like, like it's important because if they go down, then it's problematic. Well, also, they haven't haven't factored into. I had had a friend who, in uh, a divorce proceeding, got seven million dollars. Didn't see her for a while. Then, at one point, was in the parking lot uh, to some greasy spoon in, in Sunnyvale, and uh, she's there. I go, hey, how are things going? Great. What, what are you doing here? You eating here? Is this food any good? She goes, I'm working here. Working. What happened to the seven mil? It's gone. It's gone. What do you, what do you mean gone? Gone. Yeah, well, let's see. You got a condo out of it. You got a Lexus and bought a Jeep for your daughter. What happened to the rest of it? Gone. So when these banks go under, people, it's not like, you know, like you're overdrawn on your credit card. Maybe you wait a few weeks, you can pay it off. No, it's gone. Doesn't exist anymore. Not to be had. Not like if I hold on, I lost some value in the stock. If I hold on to it, it'll go up in value. None of that. Gone. Like jump off the building in 1929, gone. So to find to find uh, 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 Elon Musk wading into it with advice, it chilled me to my core. <laughs> he is not my subject for for fire me this week. However, I found uh, again, I found that to be chilling because when these things go, they go. That's why people were jumping off of buildings in 1929. It wasn't because they, you know, their prospects were low. It was because everything. It's gone, <laughs> you know. Well, and I think this comes back to the fungible notion of what constitutes the public square. Yeah. Right? Yep. So now banks are impacting the ec economy and the stock market globally. Right. So suddenly now banks are in the public square. Banks should be regulated like securities. Banks should be yep. regulated like water or electricity now. Mm -hmm. right? mm -hmm. and, mm -hmm. and yet in the middle of the the Trump administration, when these these deregulation was passed, it was like, well, mid-sized banks won't really have any big impact on the economy. Yeah. We just need to we just need to be able to regulate and stress test the big banks that are too big yeah. to fail. Because we saw what yeah. happened in two thousand and eight when those failed. But the idea is like, you know, and I think that's the challenge that we face is there's this tension between what should be public and what should be private, what should be regulated mm -hmm. and what should not be regulated. And too often people are like, well, regulation is going to negatively impact the economy, right? That's what Becker said in front of the Senate's ba Senate Banking mm -hmm. Committee. I won't be able to give loans, which means companies won't be able to hire people and the economy mm -hmm. will be damaged by the inability to hire more people. Not mm -hmm. seeing the other side of deregulation, which is look at the economic damage that has happened in the last few weeks because right. of this right. one bank failing. And I think that there's not, you know, it's a little bit like, I don't know, like any any sort of infrastructure that you look at, if you don't mm -hmm. invest in the infrastructure, it's going to be problematic. Like there are lots of infrastructure things that we should be inf investing in right now that we're not. And people are going to start shouting when the bridges collapse. This is the bridge collapse. So now, so in your estimation, is 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 Greg is Becker is he who is gaslighting whom in this instance? Because if he is tricking himself, then he's almost blameless. Like if he believes his own lies, I mean, if Ray Milland in in the movie Gaslight actually believed that the lights were changing, then then you have 
like two crazy people and it's not it's a very different story so is is there is there an is there an owner operator who is conscious of the fact that they are selling wolf tickets here you know or 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 is he has he been drinking Kool-Aid and maybe just a little bit too much? Uh, I, I mean, and I, I'm not looking for exoneration for Greg Becker necessarily, but I'm trying to figure like what you think his frame of mind is. I mean, my guess is that he's probably somewhere in between, right? That there's something self-serving. He recognizes that it will benefit his bank if there is, say, deregulation, right? Mm-hmm. And he believes the talking points that were n- no doubt given to him by somebody else. Mm-hmm. Um, about, you know, or job creation or whatever. I think that he is culpable and I think mm-hmm. he's culpable in, and I think that the system is also culpable, but like, so for example, if, you know, I'm looking at it in the street in front of my house, if someone was running down the street with a machete, mm-hmm. he may or may not intend to do harm, but I would definitely want him to be restrained in some way, right? And and the legal system says mm-hmm, that mm-hmm. you can't run down the street wielding a machete without having some consequences. And I think the challenge is, is that there are people like Becker who are running around with a machete and you're not sure what they're going to be cutting or what it is that's going to be damaged. And there's no system in place to identify them as a threat and remove them until mm-hmm. they've actually, mm-hmm. you know, hurt things, hurt people. Right. And I think that's you know, the it's, challenge. It's funny you should mention it. A guy walks into where I do jujitsu um, and apparently he had a machete. <laughs> so he walks up to the front desk. He wasn't brandishing it. It was stuck. You know, he had a he had a sling and it was stuck over his back. And later when I talked about it, I said, hey, when that guy came in here with the badminton, they, they go, what are you talking about? I said the guy with the the badminton. The, he goes, that wasn't a badminton racket. That was a that was a machete. I said, no. We argued about this for like weeks. I maintain that the guy was carrying a badminton. He goes, you have no street smarts at all. It was a machete. So now this this is apropos of the situation. If you see somebody running down the street, but in the case of Greg Becker, when we get to when we get to the stuff that he's been being accused of gaslighting people on. The, either the acknowledgement of the threats or weaknesses, maybe he just didn't see him. Now you say that he is at least partially culpable because it's his job to see them, right? Is that was is that your claim? Yes. Oh, yeah. Okay. Okay. Well, and I think, but I mean, the the Ezra Klein makes an interesting point in an opinion piece in the New York Times, and he says, you know, part of the problem is that everything moves really quickly, and we haven't yeah. caught up to it yet. Right. And that the reason that he Becker and everybody else is on the back foot when it comes to understanding the impact of the way that that interest rates had risen. It's happened so quickly that it completely turned over like a lot of the financial um, like the whole financial situation was switched for many banks because the Fed rose the interest, you know, increased the interest rates so quickly. But there's also, you know, one of the things that happened is is so the reason that this ran this bank run happened was that Becker was on a call with hundreds of lawyers and investors and he said something to the effect of but hey don't go telling people that SVB is in trouble because that could be a problem and the lawyer a lawyer got a transcript copied and pasted that line and emailed it to all of his clients and the New York Times quoted one yeah. of the guys saying, I got this piece of the transcript from my lawyer and I took out all my money. I mean, they lost 
$42 billion in a day. Billion with a B. You know, and I think, and I think that's what, I, I think that's what is interesting to me is the idea that we're working at a scale and a speed that is unprecedented in human evolution and that our systems haven't, you know, they haven't kept up. And I think that's part of the challenge is that there aren't, you know, and, and there are people who have been saying this. This is not new. This is why there was a desire to continue to have stress tests and banks and, and regulation. But I think it's recognizing that we have had a fundamental change in how we do business and that we have this <laughs> lag, like we haven't caught up, right? It's like it's like the federal <laughs> government being concerned about TikTok on people's yep. phones in the federal government. Yep. It's like, do you yep. not know how much data is being vacuumed up about each one of us and we're all yep. opting in continuously? Yep. You know, yep. you're you're missing, you're focusing on one thing that's small and you're missing the larger picture. Yep. Yep. But so yep. do you want to do your do your fire me? What's your fire me? The fire me thing is um, you know, and I it, it, it's always top of my uh, top of my mind, also top of the top of the fold in old, old you know, newspaper terms, because I'm sitting literally probably uh, half a mile from Facebook, now Meta. And, and so the news comes right away through just through the neighborhood group, the neighborhood watch thing. So it turns out that they're going to lay off 10, 11,000 more people. But if you caught my sentence construction there, they're going to. <laughs> Not they haven't. They have already. But they're they're going to they announce that they're going to, or it's been like a soft announcement that they're going to. And to me, this seems like, I mean, if you had a relationship, try doing that in your relationship. Say, hey, you know what? Come July, you're out, you're done. And see how the intervening months go of that relationship. It's like, I don't know. I guess it was intent. His audience in this instance, I think his audience uh, was probably the investment community. That's who he was talking to. Uh, but if if but maybe the investment community hears him, maybe they don't. They've got bigger fish to fry. That's OK. That's a hold and not a or not a strong buy in the in investment community terms. But the people who actually are getting up every day, logging on to Zoom or walking into the building there and trying to get their jobs done, <laughs> 11,000 of you are going to be gone by July. Uh <laughs> Talk about run on the banks. If I'm in that place now, I'm not hoping I'm going to be one of the people that's kept. I'm hoping I'm one of the people that can leave before the deluge of uh, 10,999 other people are looking for jobs in the same area. So screw you, got to go. And if this is not going to either either the companies are doing like what they somebody just recently accused them of vanity padding their their uh their uh, uh employee numbers by just hiring people there's a thing on google they're just hiring people that they don't need just to it's like a like a dick measuring contest and or these people were fundamentally really needed and now they're scrambling for the exits because because of loose lips that you have about what your, your plans for the investment community like oh do we're taking steps to you know um, um, to mitigate uh, our losses Okay, yeah, whatever, man, whatever. You know, it's bad business. It's bad boss business. You don't do it. You don't do it in your personal relationship. I wouldn't suggest doing it in your, in your, in your uh, professional relationship. But, you know, what do I know? I'm not beholden to the investment community. So maybe it was the right move. But uh, I, 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 it feels wrong to me. So, But imagine if, you know, 
many years ago, somebody had come in and said, okay, here's what's going to happen in the future. Mm-hmm. All of you are going to work for free to write stuff and, and take pictures and make content. You're going to spend a lot of time doing this to get likes. And these companies are going to take your work and make money off of it by giving your work to other people and selling all of your data. So where you go, what you look at, what you shop, all of those things, that's what we're going to monetize. So there's no real product. There's nothing that's actually Mm -hmm. being built. Talk about a swindle. Talk about the emperor's new clothes. You have people who work social media like it's their job for some kind of likes. Now, I say this as someone who is doing something on social media, you know, Mm -hmm. but but it's it, it, there's a, a level of craziness to the point where I think we've gotten used to accepting things like, okay, yep. yeah, fa- you know, Facebook, which is now meta. I mean, the reason that, that Zuckerberg's in so much trouble is he's spent so much money on the metaverse, which really isn't interesting anybody. So that's why and he it, has it, to it didn't, make it didn't when it was second, second life either. So, okay. But he thought it was going to be different. All right. Just yeah. a couple things in case you work for a gaslighting boss who maybe isn't, you know, imploding or bringing down the whole company, but still problematic. Here are a couple things. First, don't believe the hype. Don't get swept up in these dreams of greatness that are based on a story or narrative around one person that just doesn't sit right with you, right? Beware of companies that are all about the founder or the leader. Don't invest in them. Don't go to work for them. You want to think about like a three-legged stool, right? And Mm -hmm. having having a charismatic, great founder or leader with some great idea, that's wonderful. But you also need to have a company that's run effectively, that can do the job they set out to do, right? In this case, like you manage risk because you are a bank. So you need to have that. And then I think the third leg of the stool is something that's outside of the PR machine and the hype, Mm -hmm. right? I mean, Mm -hmm. we all know of startups that have come in and said, this is what we're going to do. And you know they they've made some stuff up so i think if you're looking at investing in or working for a company with a, this sort of like boss that's out there carrying the banner of whatever make sure that there's some fundamentals underneath that so you don't get in trouble second make sure that the fundamentals are handled so when the class of 22 interns showed up at the svb offices in new york city there were mice running across the floor and the ac didn't work Oh, man. Now, if if I'm taking this as like something that's supposed to further my career, I'm yeah. going to look at that. I'm going to look at the fact that like if if a bank that's that big with that many assets can't manage rodents in their office, there's probably some other problems. There used to be yeah. a, a few years ago, there was a management theory that talked about the broken window. Yeah. If there's a broken yeah. window in a, in a company it, and it's not fixed, it means that there's something wrong with how the company manages itself. Right. And I think looking at some of these fundamentals, looking at some of these broken windows and believing them. And that brings me to the third Mm -hmm. one, which is really believe yourself, believe your eyes, believe your understanding of your own industry. You know, it's easy. It's easy to look on some of these people who were part of these long term cons like Elizabeth Mm -hmm. Holmes and Theranos, people who worked for her. And you wonder, how did they not see that this was all a house of cards. How did they not or understand? Eugene Robinson at Aussie Media. <laughs> well, I wasn't going to go there, but you know, how do people yeah. how do people not understand, right? And I think that it's it's because we get so invested in our job and and when we become invested, we want it to be true. Like I would mm. suggest that you wanted it to be true. 
You wanted I, I, it to be real. I, I, I maintained at the time, I said, if 80% of what he said is, is true, you know, because journalists have that whole saying, you know, if your mother says she loves you, you get a second opinion, right? So, you know, if 80% of what he said was true, I figured I was fine. And then I have a 50% rule of lying. Most people don't lie by more than 50%. How many apples did you take? Ah, uh, well, I took I took four. Well, okay, that means you probably took eight. But nobody would say, you know, nobody lies by more than 50%. That's just my unofficial life thing, right? So, but of course, when you meet, you know, face forward to a real grifter, of course, 50%, why stop there? You know, uh, I'm going to lie by way more than that. So that's what you're never prepared for because you just, the audacity, you don't expect it. And and that's the whole, I think, at the heart of gaslighting, that, that somebody would turn the lights off and say, no, the lights are fine. It, you just don't expect it. Right? Well, and I think also, I mean, having been, I have been in situations where I have spoken to gaslighting bosses mm-hmm. and told them very clearly what you are saying is not true. Mm-hmm. And the amount of rage that comes at me is daunting. And I understand why people don't do that. I understand mm-hmm. why people don't say, because, you know, some of these people who are in these positions, they're so invested in, they mm-hmm. have bought their own narrative. They have mm-hmm. bought their own PR and they can have this rage. And I think that's part of why gaslighting is so often used in, in talking about uh, interpersonal relationships, romantic relationships or marriages. Mm-hmm. They, they talk about it as a dynamic that's used in intimate relationships because so often it's associated with a level of rage that mm-hmm. you don't usually see in the professional world. And yeah. I have seen it. And I think when you challenge someone's notion of who they are, right? Mm-hmm. Someone who thinks that the time-space continuum doesn't apply to them, mm-hmm. they can turn on you and they can be really angry. And so that's the last thing that I would suggest to anybody that is working for a gaslighting boss is, is be careful when you challenge them, but but challenge them. But I, I, I have a, a vignette. I, uh, a, a media person, uh, a person who you would have known if you were into music in the 80s, started a company. His name was Thomas Dolby. And Thomas Dolby started a company called Beatnik. And I interviewed there right after I was at Apple, but before I went to Adobe. And um, they wanted to make me director of marketing or some very, you know, it, was, it, was, it would have been the biggest title jump that I'd ever had heretofore. The money wasn't significant, but uh, stock options were pretty major. It was a company that was about to go public purportedly. And uh, uh, my boss, who had been my boss at Apple, had gone there. So all of the signs were that this was a place that I should go. And um, I turned the job down, much to my my wife at the time's anger and consternation that I did turn this job down. Um, and I said, I got a feeling. I got, I got a feeling. But mostly the feeling came when I said, what kind of budget exists to publicize the fact that Beatnik is doing all of these cool kind of things. And the woman interviewing me, a vice president of the company said, we don't have a budget. We are primarily, um, we are primarily relying on the celebrity of our CEO. So for those of you who don't recall who Thomas Dolby is, his hit was, she blinded me with science. And there was one other song. And that was a point at which I decided, nah, <laughs> nah, can't work here. Uh, the company now is a, uh, uh, it's a dialysis center. <laughs> wow. <laughs> they're out of business as far as, well, they're not in the same building. I was just by there the other day. It is now a dialysis center. So I think I made the right call there. Adobe still exists. So. Well, and I think that's 
that's where you can see the crack, right? Is often if it's talking about finances, because that's where I would, when I did confront these type of people, it would be on finances. You know, I was told that they could do X, Y, and Z for a certain amount of money. And I'm like, I know from my own experience that that is an order of magnitude too little and was told that I was wrong. And so I think that is something to think about if you're working for a gaslighting boss, you can't argue sometimes with the money. And that can be a good way in. All right. We're almost to our time. So I don't know what our next show is going to be about, but I would love to get some suggestions from the audience. Uh, We're getting more people who are subscribing, but not a lot that are writing in. So tell me what we should do two weeks from now. Uh, Email us at WTF at badbossbrief.com. That's WTF at (laughs) badbossbrief.com. I promise I read every single one and give us some suggestions and we will incorporate it and see you next time. Thanks, everybody. Adios. Thank you for listening to the Bad Boss Brief with your hosts, Eugene S. Robinson and Stephanie Payrollo. You can check out more of their work by visiting consigliera.substack.com for Stephanie and Eugene S. Robinson.substack.com for Eugene. You can also find Eugene at Mr. Sleep three that's the number three on instagram send us your questions or comments to wtf at badbossbrief.com and be sure to join us right here on your favorite podcast platform for more insights every other week until next time don't be an asshole at work 